Support for this podcast comes from Goodman. Goodman Manufacturing Company LP produces a complete line of refreshingly affordable air conditioning and heating equipment. All Goodman brand products are designed, engineered, and assembled in the United States. For more information, visit goodmanmfg.com. We have to look at ourselves as a coach when it comes to our people. And if we look at ourselves as a coach and make sure we're bringing the best out in each of our team, uh, on each of our team, we're going to ultimately wind up providing greater customer service for the customer. Mm -hmm. And if you want to grow, you could spend as much money as you want on advertising, but if your customer service levels are not where they need to be, your business is never going to reach that potential and might ultimately fail. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, in in the end, it's really going to come down to your people provide the service. You have to provide the right service to grow. Therefore, the concentration needs to be on your people and training and culture so you can provide that level of customer service that will allow you to grow and not only earn you more in the long run, but maybe even save you more of wasted revenue trying to capture customers when customers are breaking down your door because you are all the best there is out there and I'm not going anyplace else. Welcome to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys, share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. Hey there, podcast listeners. I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Success Group International's very own Michael Zeller. Michael's both a coach for SGI and a trainer for Learning Alliance, and he has a unique and extensive business background, having owned, operated, and sold a successful small business, and then later becoming an executive at Enterprise. And this was all before coming to SGI, obviously. I share his background because it's impacted his view on business, which is what we're talking about today. Let me explain a bit more. We at SGI, when we talk to new contractors who just join us, we often pose a question, what kind of business are you really in? And the responses are typical. Oh, I've been doing plumbing forever. I've been HVAC, electrical, roofing. But it's not the right answer. Not if you're going to have a successful residential service or retail operation. If you're a retail contractor, you're in the business of customer service. It just so happens you use your trade to service customers. So let's take that concept a bit further. Today's podcast is customer service affects all areas of your business. And it's really true. Not only will extraordinary customer service impact customer satisfaction in your revenue, it will affect so much more. And that's what we really dig into today, Michael and I. So sit back for 40 minutes. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Hopefully pick up a nugget or two. Enjoy. Michael, thank you so very much for coming back on the show. Uh, Could you please introduce yourself and uh, share what your position is with SGI? Hello, everyone. I am Michael Zeller. Yeah, I'm a um, one of the success coaches here. I help coach our ASI members and our RSI members, and I've been with SGI about about four and a half, five years at this point. And I kind of have a diversified background where I worked for myself, uh, had my own business for 13 years, sold it, and moved on to corporate America and had a job um, at Enterprise Rent a Car for about 15, 16 years in management. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah, when we had you last on episode 11, so it's been some months ago when really COVID was just uh, sizzling and we were talking about how to thrive through tough times and little did we know that COVID would still be 
still be here. And thankfully, lots, lots of our members have done very well uh, during this time. But um, but today we're going to talk about something that's much different. We're going to talk about the impact of customer service in every area of your business. And you brought this topic to me when I reached out to you to have you back on. Um, we were trading emails. And you mentioned your thoughts on this topic were influenced by your time at Enterprise, where you, as you mentioned, worked many years. And, you know, it's a company that's that's well known for its great service. So would you share with the audience, how did Enterprise break down their business model? You mentioned four core areas in particular. Right. So Enterprise Rent-A-Car is a company that is the biggest rental car company on the planet. Um, five years ago when I was there, it was $25 billion in, in revenue a year. Um, and they're definitely the market share leader. So, you know, when I look back on those times, I look back at a business that is the leader in its in its field. And what did they do to become the leader in the field since they started in the 50s with five cars? Right. So, you know, that's that's why I tend to look at our businesses, um, you know, at, at SGI and our members and how what we do and what these large businesses do can help them scale. So to answer your question directly, Enterprise had a, for a very large and complex company, it had a very, very simple, um, you know, basic principle, which was take care of your customers, take care of your employees, and growth and profits will follow. And they break that down and they call that the four core areas of the business. Those are the areas that any manager, any branch, any territory, any, you know, any group that gets graded, they get graded on those four core areas. And, um, and if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because yeah. the philosophy there is in order to take great care of our customers, we have to have very well-trained and well-developed employees. So if we have that and provide that great customer service, just as a byproduct of that, growth and profits will follow. Right. So that is the business model. The business model basically starts at the customer service point. And this went back all the way to the 50s. The original owner, Jack Taylor, his thought was we have to take care of our customers, treat our employees great, and the rest will just happen. Right. And, and the reality is it, it did. And obviously there's other steps that you have to take, but... The other philosophy at Enterprise was that we, when we, when I was there, we used to say we are not a rental car company; we're a customer service organization. Right. So that's how the whole business model is viewed through that lens. Right. Right. Yeah. In, in our business and in, in working with contractors, I think so many, at least you know, before they start working with us and then they go to EP for the first time, they think of themselves primarily as a a plumbing company, roofing company, HVAC company, electrical company, and then and and what they do is they sell those those services, those goods. But and obviously that's 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 that is the business. But what the real the real business is just that it's customer service. It's what separates them from from their competition. It, it influences uh, everything. So uh, let's talk about our industry um, as a whole in, in customer service. And and we always say. You know, um, I think you guys had EP just in a week or so ago. It's always happening, I feel like. But, uh, but you know, the customer service experience begins at the call center. So what role does the call center have in building the customer experience? How important is that? Well, I'll back up for a minute and then I'll answer that directly. And, and sure. I'll back up because what, what I want to add to this is that, you know, if you think about how businesses grew because you know, modern technology really has only started to be here, the internet, Google, and all of that since the 80s. 
So now let's think about all those businesses that grew and prospered well before that time that grew from small businesses into giant corporations like GE and, and the likes of that. But if you really think about how businesses grew, they mostly grew organically through word of mouth by providing superior customer service. Right. Now, obviously, there was newsprint advertising and then, you know, later on radio and advertising and then television advertising. But for the most part, but people grew their businesses based on customer service. Mm -hmm. So when we look through the lens of all that we do, and that's that's why I'm gonna answer, I wanted to make this a precursor to answering your question, because sure. when you talk about call center, you know, we do a lot now with businesses, even smaller businesses with search engine optimization, how much money we're putting into, you know, airtime advertising, perhaps print advertising, mailings, and we do all of that so someone will call us mm -hmm. and then oftentimes as a small business we'll spend all that money to have the call come in but <laughs> we don't have the right people or the right process in place right. from a customer service standpoint to really convert that customer over yeah. because that is the first impression that they have of your company is going to be your call center or whomever is answering the calls and the level of importance to how your business grows is directly related to how you handle the phones. Right, right. And and answering the phone just means much more than just answering it when it rings in the third ring. It's it's how it's it's answered. And I think that's so much what we talk about. Um, what you know, what is what are some qualities really good call center people and talking to you know, you've talked, you talked to hundreds of businesses that are very successful now and, and ones that have strong call centers. What are some qualities of strong uh, CSRs, what do they have to be to be successful to, to really get that, you know, 85, 90% booking rate? Well, the, the, the biggest quality is the fact that first, they're going to need to be able to communicate. Um, second, like uh, one of the coaches, Wesley always says, God gave you two ears and one mouth. So <laughs> do a little bit of listening so you yeah. know how to best serve the customer. So they have to have the ability to listen and communicate. But one of the biggest um, things that drives success is empathy. Right. You know, do, do we really care about the customer? Because it's all well and good to follow scripting. But mm -hmm. if we are not hiring individuals that can provide empathy and that empathy is, is kind of similar to sympathy, where sympathy, we feel sorry for somebody. But yeah. empathy is we understand how they feel. And, and I think when folks call in the industries that we're in, they have a problem. They're distraught. And what they're really looking forward to is someone that can help them and understand their problem. Right. And that all starts with the call center and how right. we take it. Yeah, it sets a call up for success because all of a sudden they, they feel they can feel that you care through that phone. And and I know also we talk a lot, I know our, our coaches that that deal in call centers about how how valuable being thorough is and our scripting is very, very thorough because any kind of details you can if you listen, people will will start spilling their guts if they have a birthday or a anniversary coming up and great, great call call takers will record that in, in notes so a technician knows to kind of bring that up to help build rapport. So you're right. It's it's just the call center is where the success begins. So our call, our call center, uh, they book the call, you know, our dispatchers, they send a technician to the home and so many service companies, again, especially as they as they roll up to EP for the first time and, and maybe have never considered this model that we have, uh, they want to rush into the house and out of the house. I was just talking to a member who uh, 
one of our success stories who he said, yeah, that's exactly what we used to do. We used to burn through calls uh, and they think they're saving people time and, and they think they're, they're uh, you know, they're getting the job done and getting out and they're making more money by going to more calls. But, you know, Michael, people definitely value their time. But why do homeowners allow our members, technicians to, to stay in the home for, you know, sometimes one to even three hours, even though they may be busy? So, right. I mean, folks, time is, is, a, is obviously extremely valuable to everybody, whether they are working or even their time off while they're waiting for a technician to come to the house. So, yes, time is, is always going to be of the essence, but it, it, time is not what creates great customer service. It's really the value that's provided. So I'll give you an analogy. And those that know me know I teach through analogies. But way back when, when I was in New York, I used to have a doctor I went to, and it's quite different in some parts um, of the country as to what a doctor's appointment is like. So I used to visit a doctor for an appointment. I'd have to go in for a simple, you know, sore throat, and I'd be sitting in the waiting room for three hours. I mean, it was insane. And then when I got in, <clears throat> you know, I'd ask on the phone, can I get a prescription for penicillin? No, you yeah. can't, you have to come see the doctor. So I wait for three hours to go in for the doctor to go open your mouth and say, ah, oh, looks like you had a sore throat. All right, you're out of here. I'll give you a prescription for penicillin. So I waited three hours for a five-minute doctor's appointment. Yeah. Well, I felt cheated and angry because my time was just wasted. Right. But the flip side of that is I started going to a different doctor, and the doctor didn't have that short, much shorter of a wait time. But when you got into his office, he actually spent time with you. Right. And asked you questions about your health, how it changed, looked you over, took vital statistics, had conversations about your diet, your weight. And next thing you know, you might have gone in for a sore throat, but you got the feeling that when you left, someone cared about you and there was always value that was presented during that time I was in there. So that entire three hours or four hours that that appointment took was far less hurtful and I didn't care as much about the time because I walked out and felt like I got value out of that appointment and it wasn't a waste of my time. So that was a long answer to talk about the fact that folks want to see value. So if you went into the folks home and you were out in five minutes and the, the charge was 400 or you were out in an hour and the charge was 400, where do you think you'd have the biggest price complaints? Right, exactly. When you're in and out and, and they don't see any value. Um, and, but someone that's listening to this that that does not know, um, again, our service model, they'll, they'll go, OK, well, great. I spent my technician spent all this time, but aren't I making less money? So but that's not really the case, obviously, as, as we know. So why is that? Why do our people still they run fewer calls but make more money? Why is that? Well, that, that's the same reason why sometimes you get into your busiest months and you look at your. Uh, your bank account at the end of the busiest month and you find that you have no money in your bank account and you look back and you realize you ran twice as many calls but if you really dug deeper you'd find that the ticket averages were only 25 percent of what they would normally be so you ran more calls but made less money and, and the reasoning is is that when you are putting your technicians out and pushing them through calls they are going to do the bare basics of what they need to do. So if it's a demand call and they went out, their goal is just going to be to fix the problem because my boss is on my butt to get me to the next call as quickly as possible. Where, you know, that means that that technician really didn't have time to do, provide that full value of doing a complete inspection or doing a complete system analysis. 
educating the customer a little bit on some of the products that we have out there and then offering that customer options. Because if you think about it, if you once you spend the time and effort and money to run that technician to that house to do that diagnosis, that's a whole lot of money you spent to do that. And if they come back with just a service fee or a simple repair, the margins on that call become far less than if they offered options because they've already burnt that time to get there and to leave. Why not have the fullest amount of revenue that you can taking the best care of the customer at the same time? So we had internal surveys at, at Enterprise. And what we did is we surveyed our customers. Obviously, that was separate from those outside reviews that you might get on Google. Mm -hmm. But what we found is that the customers that wound up falling into the completely satisfied bucket on average spent more money mm -hmm. than those customers that spent less. So yep. the customers that spent less were less excited about the level of customer service. Right. Their whole the, the whole review was was less. So why was that? So we did a little bit more digging and we found that when we when a customer gets what they need, they are generally good with your service. Right. When customers get exactly what they want, they are extremely excited with the process and the service. And why that tends to be and why how that relates directly to us is if we send, a, um, I'll use HVAC for an example, they go out to a customer's home, realize it's a capacitor, change out the capacitor, leave, boom, they're gone. Okay, great. First of all, they didn't spend that time to build the value, but the second part of it is they find out that sooner or later they're burning out more capacitors and they finally get a technician that walks in and spends a little bit of time and explains and educated the customer on that maybe it's time to look at a hard start kit for yeah. your system yeah. and give them that option. Now the customer's educated, chose that and knows they made a wide investment, even though they spent more money, right. they now got what they want and not just what they needed because right. needed results are generally less enthusiastic. Yep. You know, I, it's funny you mentioned that the, the, satisf the highly satisfied customers are the ones that spent most money. I know in talking to lots of members that their club members, the ones that are their raving fans who who paid it to be a client, basically all, their their average tickets are always higher because they're they're happier with the service they get. Um, to to go back to your your enterprise days and what you mentioned earlier in our our discussion, um, one of the core values was was to to treat their employees well, and 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 when we're talking about not rushing around from call to call to call, um, that means our, our technicians are are a little more. Uh, relaxed. They're not as stressed. They're not as exhausted too, right? So what, what kind of a, an impact does that, does that make on service companies not having just beat up techs? Right. So, you know, you raise a good question and, and it, uh, I'm going to take it even a little bit deeper. So it's well and good if we believe that we are in the customer service business and that our number one priority is to take care of the customer. Mm -hmm. But yet when we interview folks, we tend to interview folks based on their technical skills. Yeah. And those are the same people that are interacting with our customers. And then we bring them in and we do little to no training on customer service. We'll train on how to change something or how to install something, but we do little frontline communication and customer service training. Mm -hmm. And now going back to the enterprise days, 
we spent an inordinate amount of money, time and energy training our folks that we in, in the industry and outside were deemed to have one of the best training programs in the country, management training programs, because right. we trained each tech, each person, each employee to understand the business, understand the business model and understand how important customer service is. Mm -hmm. And it was so important that if you wanted to get promoted in the company, you'd have to have high internal customer service scores. If right. you, you were in the company and didn't have high internal customer service scores, that was the quickest way to get dehired at right. Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Right. I mean, you could, your profits could be down, your growth could be backwards, and you could still have a viable um, run in the company because they're going to give you the opportunity to improve. But mm -hmm. after the extensive customer service training um, and meticulous interviewing process to make sure they got the right people, they were not going to allow customer service scores to be below where they need to be. So they did all that training. So what I would ask our folks and our members or, or the contractors out there, how much training do you do on customer service? Right. And, and secondly, look at yourself as well. And how much training have you had on dealing with the customer? Right. Right, so right, right. that's the level of importance because we all know that back in the day, one angry customer will tell 20 people and one really happy customer will tell a few. But nowadays, one angry customer could tell millions of customers online. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, you, you mentioned with the enterprise and the managers being rated on on retention of employees. I know there's a lot of the, the very large businesses in our organization do the same thing, that it's one of the key KPIs that they they give out to their management teams and says, you know, um, because it's so hard to find people that, you know, when we find someone good, you need to be sure to keep, keep make them happy. I mean, that you're not giving into them if they're doing something wrong, obviously, but but if you got good people, you got to keep them for sure. So um, real quick, I, I feel like I've heard more and more, and I'd be interested because you talk to more people than I do. Um, there's companies that are going to four day work weeks or or not doing weekend service at all. Um, do, you, do you find that more and more or am I just the selective uh, listening getting the best of me? So I, I don't think it's it's running rampant out there on a four day work week, but there are some members that have had a lot of success when it comes to working four 10 day schedules instead of five eight day schedules, right? Mm -hmm. um, that whole um, switch, and I, and I did that for a period of time myself way back in the day, mm -hmm. and that, that switch sometimes creates some other operational issues for you, mm -hmm. but I think what you're asking, Bob, is, is there an opportunity to keep your folks engaged with a more flexible work schedule? Right. Right. And, yes. and I think, yes, the answer is yes. And I think there's a lot of really cool things that you can do. Like you mentioned, one, maybe go to that, you know, four day work week. Um, that's, you know, some some folks thrive on that and, and some members have done really well with it. Um, other things that I used to do, we did something called flex time, where mm -hmm. during, you know, the slower periods, the shoulder times, you know, you put a program in place and your employees are still considered full time, but they have the opportunity, you know, during the week to take a half day off and, and it just has to be scheduled and you you open that process to your folks. They're not paid during that time, but right. there are a lot of folks that would be very happy to work four and a half days in a week yes. and not five days 
and take the hit for a few hours, that tends to help save you some money on your shoulder months and yeah. allows your folks um, to feel like they have a little bit more freedom and they're not always strapped to that same schedule. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's, I, I, I certainly have heard that um, being flexible, schedule flexibility beyond just like the four day work week, I was intrigued to, to hear if you'd heard much of that, but I, I know for sure, again, hearkening back to the larger members that, that you know, clearly they're watching the gross margins and, and they don't want to have tons of overtime, but they just know that today's worker is different than the ones that from 10 to 15 years ago, where the older technicians back in the day, they said, you know, they wanted to work as many hours as they could to pile up cash and, and, um, and people, at least of these newer generations, they value their time a bit more. And um, if someone will crank out, you know, three or four days where it's 12 hours, they'll take our members will give uh, will give them that Friday off, and the and the you know the, the technicians happier than can be, and they just it, it makes it, it adds some 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 difficulty, and you got to be good at juggling schedules, but that's just that's part of it. If it's, if if you can make more money by doing that and have happier technicians, that's just the climate of today. I feel like so. No, without a doubt, and and yeah. you know they say at this point retention is the new recruiting, and right. when I look at a lot of our members, a lot of our members that have been extremely successful for numbers of years when you start talking to them about their team you'll find most of the folks on their team have been on their team for a very long period of time um, and they're hiring more as they grow but the culture is so good that folks want to stay because remember if if you are happy and your happiness gets transferred to your employee by extension, they're going to do a better job for the customers and the customers are going to be happy. It is very difficult for an, uh, an employee who is not engaged to provide great customer service. And you know that when you visit other businesses, you go into a restaurant, you can tell when that server likes what they're doing or doesn't like what they're doing right. for a living or that day they've had a bad day. So sure. think about that with your, your folks and that's where a lot of the, the training comes in, where you have to do training with them on customer service, role playing, and plus going back to what the point you made originally, which is to continue to work on your culture, to look for ways to keep your team engaged. Because if you train your folks and they're willing to do well and they're engaged, you're gonna have a dynamite result. Support for this podcast comes from Home Depot Pro. With an inventory of more than 100,000 products, the Home Depot Pro's product selection includes both the name brands you seek and the exclusive brands you trust. For more information, go to www.ebarnett.com. Welcome back to the show. I'm talking with Michael Zeller, a coach and trainer at Success Group International. Now, specifically, we're talking about the topic of how customer service affects all areas of your business. In the first half of my chat with Michael, he shared philosophies he learned at Enterprise, namely how care for customers and care for employees were critical KPIs managers were measured against. We also talked about how technicians who slow down in the home and provide real value rather than burning through calls sell more product and have more satisfied customers. Furthermore, those technicians are much more likely to stay with a company longer because they're happier employees. In the second half of my chat with Michael, it's coming up here. 
we talk more about how you can train your team to deliver that type of excellent customer service. We talk about how regular trainings in huddles do more than impart knowledge, they impart culture. Michael shares strategies on how to build up techs who've hit a rough patch in the field because it always happens. And we talk about some new age concepts in the contracting world, at least, on how to implement a true performance management system in a residential service company. So let's jump back into our conversation and explore those topics and more. You know, when I started in this forever ago, training was really much, it was pretty much just a way to, to transfer soft skills, you know, communication skills, sales skills, or, or hard technical skills. But but now, you know, training is, is kind of grown beyond that. And, and we've touched on it. And, and, you know, a new trend that I bring up all the time in these these podcast interviews is, is huddles, and certainly huddling has become a little bit more challenging given the current environment. But but huddling is is really important because not only does everyone have a pulse of what's going on day to day, but but it also does something to the culture of the company, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, think think about yourself. I mean, it, it, I was looking through some of the podcasts and remembering back on some of them, and there was, you know, one podcast about being more of a coach than a manager, and then there was another podcast that. Extra, extra, exclusively talking about, you know, huddles and team meetings and whatnot. But so I, I bring that up because, you know, a big transition will be made in how your team performs and how well you are as a leader and a manager is when you start removing the title manager or a boss and replace it with the title coach, because then you start looking at your business differently right your training of your people is more about coaching them to be the best just like you would with folks on that on your team that you're coaching and part of it think think of a football game how would that work without a huddle to get everybody on the same page of what is going to happen next mm -hmm. so there's a there's a, a, a so many reasons that huddles are a positive in nature and drive to great performance one is, is that Everyone winds up being on the same page, understand their expectations, can communicate with one another. And it's a good way to connect, to speak with your team, send them out to what they have to do on that play. And then win that play and come back the next day, have another huddle, send them out on that play and win the play and come back and have another huddle to talk about it. What you're really doing is you're taking that energy and you're keeping that energy focused and in motion. And if you continue to do that, you're going to have more engaged employees because employees now want to know the why more than ever. And right. morning huddles or afternoon huddles are a really great way in a quick amount of time to impart the play and also to in, in, impart and bring in and draw in the culture a little bit by creating more of that team environment. Right. And I and, and something I think that that maybe doesn't get discussed enough when we talk about huddles is you know, um, they need to be up, uplifting at the end. I know the, the members that do them well, um, they don't just roll into those things un, unplanned or they have, an, they have an idea of what they're going to talk about. And then they have an idea of how they're going to they're going to exit those that their their teams walking a little uh, a little taller chests out, you know, because they, they, they leave that huddle and they go to a call. In most cases, these huddles are in the morning. Um, so, I mean, maybe what are some ways that you heard members that that get people pumped up um, from their huddles to, to so their techs go on the first call on a high and, and you know, whatever happened at home as they're dry, you know, before they drove into the office that morning, they, they kind of leave that behind. Is there anything you, I, I you know, any any remedies or, or things, you know, of members that, that do to keep their their team pumped up each morning? 
Well, I think, yeah, I mean, if you if you think about what a huddle is, it's just it's it's communicating, talking about what's going to happen during this day or talking about some kind of issue that occurred that you guys are now going to overcome, whatever the case may be. It's a quick we're going to figure out what play we're going to run. And then we're going to run that play. Right. But it's not a time to beat on anybody. It's not <laughs> exactly. a time to be negative. It's not a time to chew somebody's butt out in front of their um, fellow you know, team members. So that's that's handled in a different way and in a different time. The huddle really is imparting information, making sure everybody's on this same page and, and getting everybody out with some positive energy. And the best kind of positive energy is usually brought about with a quick snapshot of what somebody did good the day before or, or where you guys killed it or, you know, where uh, an employee came back and had a phenomenal review. It's a good time to start calling out folks on your team for how well they did and then maybe challenge those same folks and the rest to do as well today or do better today. So I right. think it's just a really good environment to pat your folks on the back, yep. even though it's going to be a rough day, mm -hmm. you know, send them out on the high note, talk about what they've done well and talk about the expectations of how this day is going to end just as well because you have a lot of faith in them. It, yep. It's it's those little tiny things that are just rolled up. If you roll into a huddle, you're not in the mood to be there. You haven't had your coffee yet. You're in a grumbly mood and you're angry from the call that one of your technicians went on yesterday and you're gonna ream that tech during this time because you don't feel so good today. Your yeah. team is going out and your customers just are not gonna be happy. Yeah, and, you, and you'll see it in the results and the numbers, but it's amazing with just a little positivity, a little appreciation and gratitude that people see that from their their leader, their their GM, their owner, and they go, man, it can really resonate and make a big difference in the company. Um, you know, so we often we talk about you know how to start the day, how to train, all that. But once once our technicians, our salespeople are are out in the field, they're kind of on their in their own little islands, in their trucks, and jumping from call to call. And and how do how do really good members manage their technicians in between jobs? Like for example, they maybe a, a tech spent good two hours or three hours at a home and did and, and they did all everything right. They did the inspection. They they great service and and I don't know. They just had a, a rough homeowner. It just didn't wasn't going to say yes to anything. And they get they get stuck with us a service call only or service fee only call and, and the homeowner was grumpy about that. So. How, you know, is there anything they need to, uh, uh, one of our members should be doing to manage that tech as he or she's going to the next call so they it's not the, the well isn't <laughs> poisoned and, and that technician just has a terrible day because of that one call. Is there anything our members yeah, I should think be doing? I mean, it's, it's setting your team up for success in the very beginning. It, it's not a, so much about managing them between calls, but giving them um, the right training up front and the right attitude training, the right customer service training so that they understand. So so the example would be, you know, how do you keep your, you know, your your team because the other team just got a home run? How do you keep them from not throwing their mitts on the ground and running into the dugout? Right. So part of the reason that they don't do that is they they want that that win. Second reason is they've been trained to know that that's not the end of the game just because we're losing, right? right. Um, the third thing is that we know how to handle it because we've been in that situation before. So really what that drives me back to is, you know, how much time are you or, you know, with your folks doing training, talking about pushback from customers, doing role playing 
um, properly, and your coach at SGI can help you with that, where you're doing role playing, how to deal with those customers that are saying no or those customers that are difficult or answer the door angry at the technician when it's not the tech's fault. Have we given the technicians the tools or our, our CSR the tools so they feel comfortable handling those kind of conversations and still being empathetic and not taking it personally? Right. So I, I think it really starts, it goes back to the training. And if you don't have any training or you don't feel that you're capable of doing the right amount or that type of training, then that's when you get the coaches, get Learning Alliance involved. And let's start working towards getting your folks or giving you the tools you need to get your folks where they need to be. Because it's very difficult for some of our team members to handle a customer that is angry without getting defensive because we haven't taught them the right talk paths and the reasoning why they shouldn't take it personally. Sure, for sure. Um, training, well, onboarding training. Uh, the next, the next kind of level in in managing people is is kind of a newer concept in in I think the trades a bit. And I don't know that a lot of people do it. I know a lot of our big businesses do it because they they you know they they look at other industries at what they're doing to keep people happy and keep retention high. But, and we rolled out a, a whole program on it a couple of years ago, at one of the expos, but it was this idea of, of performance management. And it's, it's not just the annual review that's contentious where one side is looking for a X, a X amount more dollars an hour or, or whatever, you know, it's just a, it's a negotiation ploy for more money. Um, performance management is, is really meeting with your people uh, regularly to help, guide them, to help nurture them, to help grow them so they're more successful every, all the time. And, and a big part of that is is regular one-on-one. So, Michael, what, what, what in your expertise, what do one-on-ones look like um, in, in our industries with, you know, say a service manager and a technician? What do they need to be doing to, to help a technician coach them along? So, there's so much value in, in a one-on-one, but to, to go back one click and answer your question, think of yourself as a coach again, right? and you're going to review your pitcher at the end of the year. Uh, you know, if you're a little league coach or a baseball coach, you're not going to give them any feedback at all until season's over yeah. and then tell them where they could have improved. That, that makes zero sense. Right. Well, right. and unfortunately that happens a lot. We, we don't do any kind of, um, interaction from that performance and communication standpoint. And once a year, we roll out an annual review and they're upset and you're upset because somewhere along the line, there's a miscommunication on how well the, that person was doing compared to what you think they're doing. So I think you're right that the continued one-on-ones and interaction are super important. And a, a one-on-one has, has several different factors involved in. I mean, one factor is we want to get a, a bead on how that employee is feeling about working for us, because I can't tell you how many folks that I saved from quitting <laughs> by having regular one-on-ones with them and right. getting the vibe that something's changing and digging deeper and being able to resell that person on my company because they were feeling disillusioned, right? Sure, so, sure. So it's going to help your attention. It's going to help your ability to have a personal connection because it's overused this this um, term, but it's true. People don't quit a company; they quit the manager. 
right? They quit who's managing them. So if they, if it it helps you doing one-on-ones to build that relationship, because in that one-on-one, it should not only be about job performance, but it should be about that employee personally. How do they feel about their role? What's going on um, in their work-life balance situation? What additional training do they need? You know, perhaps what could you mentor them on about something that's going on in their personal life? So it's it's much bigger than just, hey, we're going to meet one on one. I looked at your ticket average. It isn't where you need to be. Get your butt out there and start (laughs) selling. That's not what a one on one is. A one on one is to increase that um, engagement from the employee. You're going to learn something from the employee because in my one on ones, I learned some things from my team that I didn't even notice myself that made me change some of the things that we were doing, some of our operational things to make sure that we were doing it better. Um, Because sometimes you'll get a better view from somebody that's in the field rather than looking from outside. And then of course, the last thing is we're gonna know that this is gonna help us develop the employee more and we're gonna discuss what they need to be better at their role during our one-on-ones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you you gain a, a personal connection um, with your employee. That, and I know some people that are old school contractors kind of might be rolling their eyes if they listen to this, but but that helps you identify what a person's ambitions are if they if they're happy in their in their role, if they want to maybe become a manager at some point. Um, I can also, you know, in my head, I'm sure there's people who are like, well, I have 10, 12 technicians, or I've got a huge, I've got a big company. I can't, how do I have time for this? And I, I just would say to people, uh, the biggest companies that I know of, they do regular one-on-ones, they are scheduled. Um, it's not the owner always doing it. There's a manager that's the manager above that, you know, that employee that, that handles it. And it's, and sometimes it's just three, three questions about, you know, how are you doing and, and what can we do to help you? And, uh, and it's just, it's very positive and it's meant to, and it just, like you say, it's amazed what people will reveal when you just ask them what's going on <laughs> and it, and it, and it can save an employee. It sometimes it's just their personal life is, is taking them sideways and it's influencing work and they just needed to talk to someone about it. And yeah, you got to play maybe amateur psychologist or you just take it and then, but they walk out of the office and they feel great and, and boom, they the numbers come back and it's just, uh, it's just what it is today. But if it keeps it keeps an employee engaged and it keeps an employee from leaving. I, I think it's well worth it because this is my, my follow-up question is Michael's, you know, you can speak to it specifically. What, what does turnover do to a business? It, what, you know, how, how does that affect its bottom line? So, you know, I, I want everybody to look at themselves and really put themselves under a microscope and take a look at what your attrition was with your team and, and how often have you looked at people leaving you and said, well, they were no good anyway. They started out good, but blah, blah, blah. That is probably a really good indication of the fact that you're having trouble growing and you might not be as profitable as you would like to be because you need folks to bring revenue in for your business to grow, right? If you continue to have a, a revolving door, you're spending an inordinate amount of time with um, recruiting, you're spending an inordinate amount of time probably in trying to train folks because you're starting from scratch again, and you're probably creating uh, a lesser customer service experience because they're not trained the way you want them to be. All of that costs money. Right. So from an overall um, bottom line effect, um, 
you know, believe it or not, in total, when it comes to training and finding and hiring and background checks, I mean, it may cost you. There's some corporate studies that shown that it costs to to gain a good employee anywhere between ten thousand and twenty thousand yeah. dollars to to gain a good employee before they're actually productive in your company. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you've rolled, if, if that works with you and you go on the low side and said, wow, 10 grand and you've rolled through four different people this year, well, you yeah. just threw 40 grand out the window, not to mention opportunity costs that you might have missed because you couldn't handle all the work because you didn't have the right amount of people because two people quit on you. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. It's it, it, it's funny. You see even good, you know, all sorts of different levels of success of members of, of contractors and, and they feel like they hit a ceiling and you start talking about how they their what's their, their recruiting process like what's their interview process like and then how do they manage people and how you know how do you train them and then how do you manage them with like performance management type tactics and and, and all of a sudden you can see well i can kind of see why you hit a ceiling um you know you might have the greatest uh sales presentation known to man and you might be really good at, at your guy you might be really good at tra training your guys how to uh how to give a great uh you know presentation in in terms of with service and and maintenance but but if you can't uh keep people around and you can't you know get them on board uh you're just gonna be spinning your wheels so that's that's kind of why I, I wanted to talk to you today about this because customer service yes it's important um with the customer themselves and and you know selling them on on your business but it's just as important if not more so internally and and um getting your people on board and doing what's necessary for them to thrive so um michael just i really appreciate all your time because i know it's incredibly busy after the holidays so um just any uh last pieces of advice you might have uh for members for non-members listening about taking care of their people taking care of customers and and, and what that means uh to their business so i think the last bit of advice if you take nothing else away is is first is that we we have to look at ourselves as a coach when it comes to our people mm -hmm. and if we look at ourselves as a coach and make sure we're bringing the best out in each of our team uh, on each of our team we're going to ultimately wind up providing greater customer service for the customer mm -hmm. and if you want to grow you could spend as much money as you want on advertising but if your customer service levels are not where they need to be your business is never going to reach that potential and might ultimately fail mm -hmm. um, so you know, in, in the end, it's really going to come down to your people provide the service. You have to provide the right service to grow. Therefore, the concentration needs to be on your people and training and culture so you can provide that level of customer service that will allow you to grow and not only earn you more in the long run, but maybe even save you more of wasted revenue trying to capture customers when customers are breaking down your door because you are all the best there is out there and I'm not going anyplace else. Right, right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Michael, thank you again so much for all your time and your insight. Uh, it's super valuable. Um, thank you so much, my friend. I look forward to talking to you soon. Always my pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Take care. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. That's Michael Zeller, Success Group International Coach and Learning Alliance Trainer. Thanks for listening to the show. If you feel like you have a great story worth sharing that would also help other contractors, email me at bhouchen at yoursgi.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating. And remember, friends give fives. You've been listening to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International. Support for this podcast comes from Synchrony Financial. 
Allow homeowners to pay at a rate that fits their budget with a merchant fee that fits yours. Visit www.toolbox.mysynchrony.com for more information. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a part of the Success Group International family. SGI is the largest member-owned best practices organization for independent residential services contractors. SGI provides its members a competitive edge through proven proprietary management tools and expertise, marketing programs, training, and a group buying power second to none, along with a highly active and eager-to-help membership. For more information about Success Group International, visit www.yoursgi.com. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a production of the Aquila Investment Group, LLC, All Rights Reserved 2021.